as we continue our sermon series, In God We Trust, this morning we're going to find our passage in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. So go ahead, uh, start turning there. Um, it's a very familiar passage, especially Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. They're verses that uh, no doubt you've heard before, no doubt you've seen them posted on pictures and people's social media accounts. Uh, we hang them in our uh, houses on signs and pictures, and uh, we know them very well. Um, but this is also a passage of scriptures I've studied this week that uh, packs so much into it that uh, oftentimes goes left untouched or ununderstood. Um, and I have learned so much and look forward to sharing with you guys some of what the Lord has taught me uh, this week. So as, uh, as we get started this morning, I want to dive right in, read the passage and pray, and then we'll uh, move into the message. So uh, let's look at Proverbs 3, 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your, pro your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much just for the privilege and opportunity it is to gather together as your children this morning to worship you. Lord, we've sung uh, praises to your faithfulness. We've uh, heard testimonies of the ministry that you are doing and are going to do throughout this area and the nation. God, we love you for all that you have done, and God, in all the ways that we do not recognize you working in our lives. Lord, you are good to us, you are faithful, and now I ask that you would be faithful as you teach us from your word. God, give me the, the words to speak, that the truths that you've communicated in your scriptures would be heard and understood for the glory of your name. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this morning I want to discuss three things as it relates to our passage. Uh, the first is, uh, what is trust? What is trusting in the Lord? Uh, the second is, how do we go about fully trusting in the Lord, and wrap it up to talk about the results of trusting in the Lord. So uh, the first thing I want to do is, is build our foundation. So we have to ask the question, what does it mean to trust? What does it mean to trust? Now, in the Christian world, there's a, a couple of word partners that go together that we often will use synonymously. So, uh, for example, you might have heard the words envy and jealousy. Well, a lot of times use them synonymously as the same thing, but they're really very different. Envy is the, the longing for something, the desire for something that isn't yours and belongs to someone else. Jealousy is the rightful longing within yourself for something that belongs to you. So, for example, I can be jealous for my wife's love because it belongs to me. That's a righteous jealousy, but I can't be envious for someone else's car. That's a sin, right? And we'll use those two things synonymously. Sometimes in the church we'll use grace and mercy synonymously. Uh, where the difference there is that grace is getting something you don't deserve and mercy is not getting something you do deserve. They're related, but not the same. And that leads to what we'll talk a little bit about this morning as we lay this foundation, the difference between faith and trust. Faith and trust, two words closely related, yet carrying different meanings behind them. So uh, to illustrate what the difference is between faith and trust, I want to dial back the years of time back to the 1850s. So this is before all of us were around. So this is, you're going to take my word on this. All right, there was a guy in the 1850s whose name was Charles Blondin. All right, have you heard of him? 
We have heard of him? Okay, good. All right, so someone has heard of him. He, Charles Blondin, was a tightrope walker, the foremost of his time, the bravest man around. And he had this uh, a partner in crime who would line things up for him whose name was Harry Colcord. So his friend Harry had uh, set up, he kind of managed this whole tour that Blondin would do, and Harry set up this, this show at Niagara Falls. So he said, we're going to gather all kinds of people, and what we're going to do is we're going to span a rope 1,300 feet across Niagara Falls, and Blondin, you're going to walk across it. So the day comes, and just tons of people show up to watch this thing happen. And Blondin's getting ready to walk across, and the people, this is, this is crazy, 1,300 feet over Niagara Falls. If he takes one wrong step, done. And the people are there to watch in amazement to see what would happen. And uh, to their encouragement, uh, Blondin walks all the way across and then all the way back. And kind of fired up on his own ego at the time, seeing, hey, I just did this. I made something happen. He says, you know what? I'm going to do bigger and greater things. Come for the encore presentations. Over the next couple weeks, I'm going to do crazy stuff. I'm going to walk this and do amazing things. And the people would come back. And over the course of the next few weeks, Blondin would walk that rope again and again, each time doing a, a dare even more daring than the last. Some of the things that Blondin would do uh, once he fried an egg while he walked across. I don't know how he did that, but he did it. Uh, some of that's, at least that's what the records say. Uh, he walked across the rope backwards. Some of us have a hard enough time walking across the room backwards, right? Let alone a tight rope above Niagara Falls. He did it blindfolded, which I don't even want to walk blindfolded. You never know what you're going to run into. Um, but Maybe the most daring thing that he did, the last time that he walked the course, as the, the crowds gained in number and they, their faith grew in him every single time, that this guy can do amazing things, the last thing he did is he went to his partner, Harry Colcord, and he said, today you're not going to be Harry Colcord, you're going to be Blondin. What? You're going to walk the tightrope with me. Could you imagine being called cord at that, that point in time, I would be like, sorry, listen, you're great, you're a great friend, but there's no way I'm walking across that tightrope with you. I will die for sure. But apparently Cal cord was a little more brave than me, and he said, okay, we'll do this. So before they, they walked the rope, Blondin turned to Cal cord and said, listen, if I sway, you sway. If I take a step, you take a step. Every movement I do, you mimic it and we will make it across. And so as the, the clouds around Niagara Falls, the mist uh, parted away as Blondin walked across that rope, the crowds were amazed to see that Colcord was right there behind him walking that rope. And when they finished, what an amazement it was that these two men had walked this rope together. And that's where we see the difference between faith and trust. Right? The crowds had faith that Blondin would be able to walk across that rope time and time again, doing the most daring of stunts. But only Colcord trusted Blondin and walked the rope with him. That's the difference between faith and trust. See, the difference is that uh, one is something that you have, the other is something that you do. Faith is something that is given to you. It's something you have. I have faith. Trust is something I choose to do in light of my faith. It's a behavior change. It's, some, it's an action that I take, a decision to be done daily. So here's a working definition of trust. The definition is trust is relying on someone when it is entirely contrary to what is natural for you. 
Trust is relying on someone when it is entirely contrary to what is natural for you. As a youth pastor, uh, during the summers and in the fall, we'll take kids on, on retreats. So uh, we've gone to uh, at fall camp. They have a high, or not really a high ropes course, but they have a climbing wall with a zip line. And at Lake Ann Camp, where we take kids during the summer, they actually have a high ropes course, which is part of the week of what the, the students will do while they're there. And this past summer, while I was at uh, Lake Ann, I, w- I went to watch some of our students that did the high ropes course. And inevitably, there's, there's some that will scale this thing with no fear whatsoever. They'll just climb and climb and just get all the way to the top, and it's like they're doing nothing, right? And there's others that will start to get up this course, and they'll freeze in terror and horror. And the difference between the two is either one's just crazy, which is possible, or they have trust in their belayers, Right? If I fall, I trust that my belayer will support that rope and prevent me from falling. But as they climb up to the top, inevitably a part of every high ropes course is when you reach the top, it's not just staying there. You have to get back down, right? So they're like, the one way you're going to get down, you're going to jump. It's like that conquering your fear moment, the, the moment where you look, and it's entirely contrary to what's natural to you. I would never stand at the top of something very high and say, I'm going to jump. But they'll put a little bell out of ways that you have to jump for. And it's great to watch kids just say, all right, I'm going to take that leap. And they jump. But here's the thing. They can't take that leap and jump for that bell and yet hold on to the structure. They have to take the point, that step of action to go from, hey, I believe that my belayer is going to support me, to I'm going to trust my life into my belayer's hands. Right? So as a believer, some of us just need to jump. Or maybe we're standing at the the top of the high ropes course. We're standing at the door of the airplane, whatever it may be. However, it it reaches your heart and and God is saying, listen, you need to just jump. Trust me, jump. Don't sit here and hold on anymore. So to trust is to live life with open hands, right? We may never find ourselves in a high ropes course. I will guarantee you, you will never find me in a high ropes course. Um, But we do find ourselves in the midst of life. So to trust is to live life with open hands, both with who we are and with what we have. So how do we trust the Lord with who we are? We each have different gifts and personalities. Bill uh, read that passage from Romans chapter 12. All the different gifts, right, that Paul is talking about. And he's saying as you, as you serve, if you have the gift of service, use it as you serve, right? Glorify God as you serve. Whatever the gifts that God has given you, you can trust him with those gifts? Will you use them to glorify God? Will you use them for the benefit of the kingdom? Will you use them for God's name or even just your own? Or perhaps what we'll do is we'll take those gifts and we'll tuck them aside and say, I'm a little intimidated. I don't know what is going to happen here. I'm a little scared. Um, I'll be honest with you guys. I, I love to preach, but preaching also makes me very scared. Like every time, whether I'm talking to 12-year-olds or adults, I get nervous like, what's, what's going to happen? But God says, trust and speak the word, right? So we trust God with who we are as parents, as spouses, as kids, siblings, friends, right? In our careers, we trust the Lord open-handedly with who we are. Say, God, I surrender this to you. Take it and use it however you would see fit. And with what we have. And sometimes this is the more difficult one, right? It's easy to talk about how we'll use the gifts that God's given us for his kingdom, but when we talk about the gifts that he's given us in, the, in our worldly possessions, how can we use those? 
right? Will we hold our finances with open hands? Will we hold our vehicles with open hands? Are our doors open to those who may need a place to stay? How will we use the things that God has given us for his glory? How will we steward those things for his pleasure, for his kingdom's sake? Will we use that for the glory of God? Since uh, trust is an action, our behavior changes as a result of our faith. See, our faith comes first. Faith births trust. But just because faith exists, I would say that many of us in this room have great faith in the Lord. But that doesn't always mean that all of us in this room have great trust in the Lord, right? Because our faith, we have to act on it for it to become uh, proven true. So it's easy for us to say, yes, I believe. I believe that God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I believe that God is capable of doing the almighty things. I believe that he can overcome any obstacle. I believe, I believe, I believe. And yet sometimes we'll sit and we'll look at the hardships of life and say, okay, now I don't know. I believe it. But when it's on the line, will I, will I act on that? We have to trust God in all things, holding with open hands who we are and what we have. So now we have a picture of what trust in the Lord uh, looks like. We have to ask the question, how do we fully trust the Lord? How do we fully trust the Lord? And uh, in our passage today, we're going to see a couple things. So the first, the first thing that we have to do that Solomon says to fully trust the Lord is to reorder our priorities. We need to reorder our priorities. Notice that Solomon says at the beginning of the passage, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Uh, in all of your ways, acknowledge him, right? And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, right? He's saying, listen, we need to change the way we look at stuff. We need to reorder our priorities in life, that God comes first. We look at life through God's lens. We look at life and we trust God, not ourselves. We live in a, a corrupt world where um, you know, trusting people is, is very difficult to do because the, the human race has unfortunately let each other down far too often and far too frequently, right? Um, so we say, you know what, uh, I don't know if I can trust others, but I'm surely going to, I can trust myself at least, that's for sure. Um, where, where we're really challenged and, and what we're going to see here in a second in Jeremiah is that even our own uh, hearts are deceitful. So uh, notice what uh, the weeping prophet records the Lord saying in Jeremiah 17. He says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. There's that word trust again. And makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and it is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And the difficulty there is oftentimes we don't recognize the deceitfulness of our own hearts because it's our heart. We see it and we trust it. That's why the, the psalmist prays, Lord, search me and reveal to me any unsure way, any sinful way inside of me. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. So how many times 
think through this into your own life. How many times has your heart failed you? How many times has your own opinions failed you? Your own desires failed you? Your own pleasures failed you, right? We can be deceived by so many things. We can be deceived by uh, instant gratification, right? Right now, this would be way better than waiting 24 hours for that or thinking a year down the road or 10 years. And we'll do what is good for us in the moment, maybe at the sacrifice of what's good for us and our families in years to come. We can be deceived by our own biases. I'm biased to be a Bulls fan, right? So I might say that the Bulls are great even when they're not. That just might happen, you know? Uh, we can be biased by our own culture, our nationalism. We can deceive ourselves at times and say that our nation has everything figured out. We are the greatest nation on earth, when yet we have so many struggles as a nation. And sometimes we'll, we'll bat a blind eye to those because we can be deceived by our own hearts. It's, it's difficult for us to, at times, uh, not address issues in our lives because we can be deceived that, you know what, the, it'd be way easier to just brush this thing under the rug, to not address it right now, because, you know what, that would be awkward. It'd be really awkward to bring that up with that person. It'd be really difficult. But the truth is, as you brush something under the rug, what happens? Now there's a lump in the rug. As you walk, you've got to step over it. And inevitably, at some point, you're going to forget to step up and over it, and you're going to stub your toe, and then you know what happens when you stub your toe, right? And the easiest and the right thing to do is, no matter when, how difficult or how awkward it may be, address the difficulties in your life. Address those problems. Don't be deceived by what the devil wants you to believe, that, you know, he would love it if we left unresolved problems. He would love that instead of trusting the Lord, the one who can restore relationships, the one who can restore peace. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. When we choose to lean on our own understanding, we choose to elevate ourselves above God. Right? We say, God, right now, you don't seem to get this situation the same as I do. You're not acting as I wish you would. So we need to reorder our priorities in all things, not just what it, when it comes to what you do in your involvement here at church, not just in your career, uh, not just in your families, not just in your possessions, not just in this, not just in that, but in all things, seek first God. Acknowledge him, right? God first, God first, God first. So when we get our priorities straight, we will naturally relinquish, relinquish command. Right? That's our second thing that Solomon says, relinquish command. So in a 2003, which I'm pretty sure most of us were around 2003, there was a blockbuster hit in which Jim Carrey starred as a TV field reporter. All right, you may be trying, you're digging through the files in your brain trying to think of what I'm, what I'm talking about, and uh, you may remember them talking about Bruce Almighty. Yeah, I'm, I'm referring to that right now. And, and so Jim Carrey in this show, his dream is to become the lead anchor for this news station. That's what he desires to, to happen. And through a series of unfortunate events, he finds that not taking place. Somebody else gets the job, and Bruce becomes very upset. And so what does Bruce do, as we all do when things don't go our way? We shake the finger of God and say, why'd you let this happen? So what happened is uh, Bruce gets this letter in the mail telling him to go to this abandoned warehouse where he meets with God, and, who is Morgan Freeman, by the way. And, and God says, here, here's the deal. If you think you can handle this, I'll give you the powers to be God. So Bruce kind of hyped up on his 
worldliness, right? Because even though he had the powers of God, he is not God. So what he did is he went out and started using these powers for all of his own benefits, right? He does all the things that he wants. He makes things happen that would benefit him. There's one scene that you would see him sitting at the kitchen table with a bull, and as he used his God powers to part the Red Sea of his tomato soup, right? Not really what God is, is doing with his powers. And so as uh, Bruce went on, he started noticing these voices all the time. He was like, what is, what is this? So he goes back to God and says, God, what, what are these voices? And he said, these are the prayers of all the people in the world. You need, to, you need to handle these. And Bruce is overwhelmed by this. There's so much, he can't hardly understand one or the other. So he developed this software, this email program that would respond yes to every single prayer. Because he figured, you know what, why not? It'll make people happy. They'll have all their prayers answered. This will be great. And soon, Bruce started to find that the world around him was crumbling because every prayer was answered yes. And he started to realize that, you know what? I can't do this. I have these powers, but I can't handle this. I can't be God. And and he has this this come-to-Jesus moment where he says, Lord, take your powers back. I don't want this anymore, right? This, this is not for me. And he begs God to take his powers back. And he does. And so while this movie has had different responses within the church, some people will, will, uh, will call it sacrilege and, and shun this movie, and others will find it comical as the comedy it was designed to be. But regardless of where you're at with this movie, let it be a symbol of our own sin at times, right? Because while we may not have received the powers to be God, how often have we wanted to be God? We've shaken the finger of God and said, you're not doing it the way I'd like to have it happen. I need to take over here. And you'll start to take steps where you be take control of your life and do things your way. Right? We have desire to be God in our lives. So when we don't understand or are anxious about tomorrow, instead of trusting our natural response, our sinful response, is to do it ourselves. God, I know you're God, but right now you're just not cutting it. I'll take over. And so we, we see this time and time again in Scripture, right? If you go all the way back to the beginning, you have Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And God had given them clear instructions. And what happened? They did not trust his word, but they were deceived by the serpent. And they sinned. Right? Fast forward. We see it with Abraham. Well, Abraham was a man marked by faith. You'll find him in the hall of faith in Hebrews. But there was a time where Abraham and his wife, Sarah, went to Egypt. And what did Abraham do? He quit trusting the Lord. Right? He said, they'll surely kill me for you. So let's lie and say that you're my sister to preserve my life. He didn't trust the Lord and it led to his deceit and his sin. What about Moses? who didn't trust the Lord to provide water out of the rock. So what did Moses do? He took matters into his own hands, and he struck the rock. He didn't trust the Lord. Fast forward even even farther. You see it all throughout, but let's, let's move to the New Testament. Peter, how about when Jesus was going through his trial, and Peter said, I will surely walk with you. I will never turn away. And then what happened? He denied the Lord three times. He did not trust the Lord, but he denied him. And he said, see, when we choose to not trust the Lord and to walk in our own control and to trust ourselves, to lean on our own understandings, we will sin. 
that will lead us to sin. If, if you do not do a sinful act, you are going to sin in the fact in and of itself that you are denying God the honor that is his, the position that is his, and you are, you are elevating yourself above God, and there you have sinned in pride. We have to relinquish command. Our lack of trust causes us to sin. So when we uh, relinquish control in our lives, we have to surrender to doing stuff God's way and in God's timing. We allow God to take full control and we surrender it all to him, right? It's that holding, holding life with open hands. God, I'll do it your way. I'll do it how you tell me to do it and I'll do it when you tell me to do it. And sometimes this will happen. We'll, we'll go to the Lord and we'll pray. And I had to teach this to the middle schoolers recently at the Sugar Grove campus that when we pray, oftentimes we'll pray and say, here's what I want to happen, Lord. And what your goal really is in praying is to bring God in on your plan, right? This, do this, Lord, make this thing happen. But really what prayer is is an alignment of our will to God's. Yeah, you can present, we should present our cares and concerns to the Lord, but really it's to, to seek his will in our lives and, and say, Lord, align my heart to yours. Teach me to follow you. Teach me what to do in this circumstance, God, and I will trust you in it. But oftentimes we're like, you know what? God, come and make my life the way I want it to be. And then we shake the finger at God when he doesn't, when he answers differently than we desire. And that is not relinquishing control. We have to humble our hearts to relinquish control to the Lord. This is why Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, 23 through 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Trusting in the Lord, relinquishing control is, some, and it is a decision and an action that is done every single day throughout your day. Right At any given point in time, right now, we could say, you know what, I'm going to choose to lean on my own understanding versus trusting in the Lord. But as believers, we are called to take up your cross daily and follow him. That way, every single day of your life, you are walking in the will of the Lord and doing your best to follow his plans. So uh, the last uh, way that we have to uh, fully trust the Lord is to rely on our experiences with the Lord. And that might sound a little, a little odd, but let me, let me explain that for a second. So um, if you look in the passage in, in verse 6, it says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Um, think, think for, I don't have kids yet, but some of you guys have had kids or have kids right now. And what's the one thing you teach your kids when they're little? It's stranger danger, right? I remember learning, don't talk to strangers. Don't go talk to strangers. If they have candy, say no. If they have cute puppies, don't go with them. It's, all, it's not going to be as good as you think it is. Stranger danger. Don't talk to strangers. You grow up with a kid and you're just like, strangers are evil, right? Well, it's, the reason that we have this idea of stranger danger is because there's no relationship to judge that person off of. There's no proof of, of trustworthiness or faithfulness in that person. So you don't know what a stranger's motives are. You don't know where their heart's at. You don't know what they're capable of. You don't know what they're planning to do. So we teach kids to avoid the strangers because we're not going to trust a stranger with our greatest possession, right? As someone who doesn't have kids, I, I can't imagine that if I did, I'd go up to a stranger that I've never met before and say, hey, can you watch my kids for the afternoon? And if I did, I can assure you that that would be the last time because my wife would probably never let me watch the kids again because she wouldn't trust me with them anymore, right? We look to those we have a relationship with 
and we trust them. We don't just trust strangers. Isn't it true, the same true with the Lord, right? We, we can have a relationship with the Lord, but your trust in the Lord will not exceed your relationship with him. Your trust in the Lord is not going to exceed your relationship with him. As you trust the Lord in the little things, you build a record of his faithfulness in your life. And what a great book that this is, right? This is a, a great record of God's faithfulness throughout time to his people to provide, to lead, to overcome. God is faithful, and we have this gift. Uh, Bree and I were, were reading through the Bible in a chronological plan right now, and we were thinking the other night as we read, we are like, you know how crazy it was for Abraham to follow the Lord when he said, uh, leave your home and go to the land that I will show you? He had no idea where he was going, and he didn't have this to know that God was faithful like that. He relied on the relationship that he had built with the Lord. This is something that I believe we too often take for granted, right? But we have this, uh, this great gift. So um, as Solomon says that in all your ways, his audience would have understood it to say, as you go on living, right? As you go on living, acknowledge the Lord in all the ways that you go. And that's what we can take uh, great heart in. So one of my professors, I went to Taylor University uh, before I went to Moody. Um, and one of my professors there, his name was Dr. Harbin. This old guy with a great beard, you know, if he were a little chubbier, you would have totally thought he was Santa Claus. Um, he was an awesome professor, loved the Lord, but a very, very humble guy. I have never met somebody who knew so much about the Old Testament as Dr. Harbin. But Dr. Harbin would also be the first person. You'd ask him a question. If he didn't know the answer, he'd be like, oh, it's, a, it's an interesting question you raised there. I don't know. And it would blow my mind that this like genius of the Old Testament would say, I don't know. He was humble. But one day in class, Dr. Harbin was telling us about his backyard. You're thinking, well, that's just the most random thing, right? But he'd tell us about his backyard, and he would say that it had become one of his favorite places on earth because it had become a monument or a testimony to God's faithfulness in his life. And he went on to talk about how Every single time they would see God come through and be faithful in a milestone thing in their lives, they'd plant a tree. They'd plant a tree to be a reminder of God's faithfulness to them. So he told us, and I think this is just so cool, that they had trees that were big and old because God had been faithful in years past. And then they had trees that were young and small because God was still being faithful. And so he found it such an encouraging place to be, to go sit in his backyard when he would be looking at life circumstances and say, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where the Lord is going to lead. He said, I'd always go sit in my backyard for about an hour and I'd walk away and say, God is faithful. I will trust the Lord because this is a place he's been faithful. That's a place that he's been faithful in our lives. And what a great testimony to what that, what that is in, in my professor's life. But Dr. Harbin isn't the only person who does this, right? The Israelites would do this too. And we can do this as well. So in Joshua 3, the end of Joshua chapter 3 into Joshua chapter 4, the, the Israelites were crossing the Jordan River, right? And as they did, they were commanded by the Lord to build a monument of 12 stones. And this is, this is so cool. I just want to read this part to you. Um, it says that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in times to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you should tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Isn't that so cool? I think that is so cool. 
And we can have those memorials in our lives too. You know, for some people, it's, it's journaling. You'll write down in a journal the ways that you've seen God be faithful in your life. Others may use a social media account as, as a way that, to look back and see God's faithfulness in their lives. Others will do things like plant trees. Whatever it may be, you know, do you have a way in your life that you are being reminded of God's faithfulness to you so that as you face new days, as you face new trials, as you face new struggles, new opportunities to trust the Lord, you have something to look back on and say, God has been faithful. God has been faithful. God has been faithful. Let me trust him. Let me trust the Lord, right? And some of us need to start trusting the Lord, not just having faith in him, but trusting him today in the little things. Let that grow. Let, your, let God's faithfulness be proven true to you. But when you seek the Lord, seek him with, with an open mind, right? Not a, not a closed mind, a closed fist. Because God will answer your prayers and provide in many ways that you would never have thought that he would. Something that you weren't, was not even on your radar. But are you open to, to seeing the way this, that God would provide in your life? So I'd encourage you, you know, rely on your experiences with God. Rely on the faithfulness of God that we've seen throughout history and rely on his faithfulness in your life and those closest to you. That's why, you know, sharing our testimonies with each other is such a great thing, right? Seeing how God has been at work in each other's lives um, is such an encouragement. So how do we fully trust the Lord? We do it by reordering our priorities, relinquishing control, and relying on our experiences. So then I want to wrap things up with what are the results of trusting the Lord? What are the results of trusting the Lord. The first uh, that Solomon is going to indicate to us is development. So if we, this is where I think, you know, as we read Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we get a, a great picture, a command to trust the Lord, to rely on him. But as we move down into the later verses, we get so much more from this as well. In, in verse 8, he says, it will be healing to your flesh. And something we miss in the English translation of this is what the Hebrew word there really is. The Hebrew word is for your navel. Your belly button, right? The place where, as an infant in your mother's womb, you are connected to your mother through the umbilical cord. And what does the umbilical cord do? It provides uh, blood flow. It provides nutrients that are needed to sustain growth and life, right? So what Solomon is saying is trusting in the Lord is, as it is essential for an umbilical cord for an infant, it is, in, it is essential for you to trust the Lord as a believer for your growth and spiritual life. So trusting in the Lord provides uh, the opportunity for development and growth. Your relationship with the Lord will grow when you trust him because you will see his faithfulness time and time again, right? You're going to learn what it means to trust him. You're going to learn what it means to take a leap of faith. And this little leap of faith is not going to seem anything compared to the huge leap these going to ask you to do later. But that one's going to be easy because you've taken the little ones. And what about your, your testimony that I mentioned, right? That will grow as well. That will develop as well. What an opportunity, which develops an opportunity to share the gospel because what a great way to share the faithfulness of God than through your own story. How has God worked in your life? What did God do to bring you to a point of salvation? What is God doing in your life right now? Your opportunity grows. He will stretch you out of your comfort zones. He will lead you to where you're not, you're not sure of. He will ask you to trust but you will grow as a result. The second result of trust in the Lord is durability. And that also comes out of verse 8. It says there will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. 
Again, the, the Hebrew word there for refreshment is marrow. So Solomon says it will be marrow to your bones. And, and this, I think, is super cool. So bear with me for a second. I really, I was blown away by this. And I don't know if Solomon knew all the functions of marrow at the time he wrote this or if it was just God's grand design that he would use this word. But Solomon says it will be marrow to your bones. As you know, one of the functions of your bone marrow is to produce blood cells. So they'll produce red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. All right, and there's a different function that each of these carry out, right? Your red blood cells work throughout your body. I know this is a biology lesson for you guys, and let me assure you this. I have never been as excited about biology as like I am right now. All right, so <laughs> bear with me. If you're not a science person, neither am I, but this is cool, okay? Uh, your red blood cells work to carry oxygen throughout your, your body to keep your muscles uh, strong and healthy. They'll carry oxygen throughout, so think about that. You have that, that function of the marrow within your body is to keep you strong and healthy. Solomon says, what does he say? Trust in the Lord is the marrow to your bones. Trust in the Lord keeps you spiritually strong and spiritually healthy. Now, white blood cells, this is pretty cool. All right, white blood cells function to fight off disease and infection. Disease and infection, the attacks from the outside of your body that can harm you and cause great illness. And what does Solomon say? He says that trust in the Lord is the marrow to your bones. Trust in the Lord can protect you from the attacks that you may receive, the lies that the devil may throw at you, the, the discouragements and the trials that may come in your life, that you can trust the Lord, right? You can fight those things off because trust in the Lord will do that for you. It provides that. And platelets. Platelets function to clot up your blood, right? If you get cut, your platelets work to clot your blood so you don't bleed out, right? And what does Solomon say? Trust in the Lord is marrow to your bones. It's marrow to your bones, right? When you, when you do fall, when you do get cut, when you, when you struggle as a Christian, trusting the Lord, I believe what Solomon is saying is it provides you the strength, the durability to stand up and recover, right? As a believer, when you trust in the Lord, you can recover a lot quicker than those who don't because the Lord can carry you through it. Isn't that an amazing picture? The marrow to your bones, that as we trust the Lord, he gives us the strength to carry stronger burdens. He gives us the durability to withstand greater tests. Why? To glorify his name, to make him great in all the nations. He gives us durability when we trust him. What an amazing thing. And the last is devotion. It says honor the Lord, right? Honor the Lord uh, with your wealth. So it could be easy to sit up here and say, hey, Give to the church, give to the church, give to the church. But you know what? That word honor is a word that we don't often grasp in our culture. There are some cultures out there that are uh, honor and shame cultures. We do not operate under that system here in America. But what it is, I had a brother from Ethiopia, just like Jacob. And, and so uh, Becky is his name. And uh, Becky would, would not understand the idea when my parents would talk to him about disrespecting them. He, it would be in one ear and out the other. It didn't click for him. But when my mom would talk to him about bringing shame to my parents' name, to our family name, boom. I remember there were times he'd just break down in tears and say, what? I didn't mean to bring shame to you. Honor is such a big deal. And, and Solomon says, honor the Lord. Give him the weightiness. He's saying, show that God is your God in the way that you handle your wealth, in the way that you hold your life with open hands. Show that he is Lord. Honor him. Give him the rightful place in your life. We will honor him with our devotion 
as we uh, begin to trust him. So think back as, as he talks about the, the first fruits. I want you to think back with me to Genesis where we have two brothers, right? Cain and we've got Abel. What, what happened here is these two brothers, if you read the account in Genesis chapter 4, they both offered something to the Lord. They both offered something. But Cain took of his offering, uh, of what was kind of left over his field, just something of the field. And uh, Abel had brought the best of the best. He took the, uh, the meat from the firstborn of the fatty sections, the, f- the best offering he could come up with, and he brought it to the Lord, and the Lord found favor on his offering. God desires you to honor him with, with what we have, not so much in just in what you give, but your attitude in giving it, right? If your desire is to honor the Lord with your stuff, you will give the best of your stuff. You will give the best. You will give the first fruits because that honors him. That says, Lord, above all else, you are important. Above all else, you are God. You get the first of what I have to offer before I give to anything else. And that's the attitude that he calls for, our devotion to the Lord. And as we've grown up, I'm sure many of you guys, if you're like me, most people I talk to are like this way. As, you, as a kid at Christmas, you love Christmas because you get to open up a bunch of presents, right? It's super exciting. You walk downstairs, a bunch of gifts. But as, as you grow up, the joy of Christmas becomes giving, right? Giving gifts. This Christmas, I was more excited to give Brie gifts than I was to receive gifts from Brie. And she might be offended by that, but that's okay. You know, um, because we learn the joy of giving, the joy of trusting the Lord. Because as we trust him, he promises to, to be faithful to provide. And as I was studying, I was like, I don't know how to handle this, this idea of the, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. I was like, I don't want to preach a prosperity gospel that if you give, then God will just give you everything, right? You will have more than what you need. But what Solomon is communicating is, you know what? The blessing of trusting the Lord is, is to be able to hold your, your life with open hands. And when God calls you to give to someone, you can trust that he'll provide what you need. He won't leave you high and dry. God's faithful to provide for you. You may not have the most of everything. You may not become the most wealthy person because you've given to people or you've allowed God to take absolute control of your life. That, that is not what he's communicating. But what he is is that, that we have that freedom, that blessing of the joy of giving and the blessing that uh, we get to trust God and do it freely. So oftentimes, you know, these, uh, these results of trusting the Lord are, are good, right? We, we are encouraged by them. We like them. We want those things. I look at it, I'm like, how amazing that would be to experience that all the time. And we want the results and the blessings of trusting the Lord but we don't always want to do the hard part in trusting the Lord, right? These come as a result of trusting the Lord. And so will you let go of control of your life and trust the Lord in all things? And will you jump, right? Will you stand at the top of the high ropes course? Will you stand at the door of that airplane? And will you jump and trust that God is God and he will take care of you? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being a faithful and trustworthy God. Lord, I thank you that you are good to us. I thank you that you meet us in our times of need. Lord, I thank you that you've given us your word to show of your faithfulness throughout all of history. And God, today I pray that each of us, as we go back to our daily lives this week, we would trust you 
in all things. Not just have faith and, and believe that you're capable, but God, that our lives would be changed and marked by trust that shows that you are God, that gives you the opportunity to rise to the occasion and prove yourself true. God, that it would be a testimony to a watching world that the people in our lives would see us trust you in all things and give the glory to you for it. God, we thank you for the results of trusting you as well, the blessings that we get to experience. You don't call us to do it uh, just to do it, but Lord, you even bless our trusting with you because you are so faithful and good to us. And we pray all this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.